Yeah, so page 264, if you missed that. Uh, Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I, continu may I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. 
He has not shopped, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks, Ellen. Good morning, everyone. It is lovely to be back with you. It's great to see you again. As Matt said, I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Unley. But about, well, I think exactly nine months ago, I stood here on this stage um, with a whole group of people who kind of filled that corner of the room there, and you sent us off to start a new church in Unley. So this morning, I want to bring their hello to you and say, um, we're going well, we're enjoying life in Unley. We have a, a wonderful church that started very well there. It's fitting this morning that we're looking at Ruth chapter 2 because I think this chapter is, is a chapter all about generosity and kindness. And I want to say a big thank you from our church in Unley for your generosity and kindness to us as a church, for your prayers and for the way you've been encouraging us as we've got started. I want to say a big thank you also for Meredith and I personally about the way in which you've cared for us and looked after us. Uh, and particularly to Matt, who's uh, been a great help and support for Meredith and I as we've started a new church. So thank you, Matt, and thank you to all of you for the way in which you've looked after us. Well, I wasn't with you last week, but I understand that Tim helpfully unpacked for you the start and the background that goes behind the book of Ruth. It's a great little story, isn't it, the book of Ruth? I hope you've been enjoying it as you've been working your way through it. But it's worth remembering as we look at it again today that it's written at a time when life was a bit more difficult than it is today. It's worth remembering that life was particularly tough for the vulnerable and for women in society, for those who were disadvantaged. I think last week Tim got you thinking about what happens when life gets tough. And he showed us the story about how Elimelech, Naomi's husband, who when the going got tough, left God's promised land, left the land that was supposed to flow with milk and honey, and he headed back away from the promised land into Moab. Tim helped you to see that this is not what we should have expected from Elimelech. Probably wasn't the right thing for him to do. And certainly his sons shouldn't have married Moabite women. I should say at the outset to this morning that I'm very thankful for Tim and for the work that he's done on helping to explain uh, this book. I've listened to Tim's previous sermons on this. Uh, much of what I've learned today comes from what I have heard from Tim on his previous talks. But I want to say right at the outset that any mistakes that I make today or any missteps I take, they're my fault, not Tim's, okay? So don't hold that against him as we work our way through uh, this chapter. Well, at the end of chapter 1... You might remember Naomi had changed her name and she's going about calling herself Mara, meaning bitter. And she says in verse 21 of chapter 1, which you can find on page 264 of your Bibles, and I'd encourage you to have them open. 
She says this, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you know anyone like Naomi? It's kind of glass half empty people rather than the glass half full. I mean, remember she went away starving and she's come back with Ruth, who we'll see is going to go on to provide for her. But anyway, chapter one, we could summarize as being about emptiness. If that's the case, I want you to see that chapter two is all about being filled. And that filling comes from the invisible hand of God that is at work at each step in this story. I wonder how you're feeling today. You might be here sitting with lots of people but still feeling in some way a little lonely this morning. If that's you, uh, you're probably not alone in your feelings that way. A, a, a recent Lifeline survey that I looked at this week said that kind of almost 60% of people feel in some way lonely in this world. That's the way you feel this morning. I hope, at least in part today, as we work our way through chapter 2, you see God's filling hand at work. I hope that you can feel that in this place this morning as well. See, in Ruth chapter 2, we see this invisible hand of God at work. We see God's abundance. We see his blessing and his provision. We see his generosity. In our story, that generosity is modelled by this man, Boaz. He's a new character in our story today. And we know right from the outset of the chapter that he's one of the good guys, don't we? As a clever kind of literary device that's being used here. Boaz is being introduced to us by the story's narrator before he turns up in the plot itself. We're being told what to think of Boaz before we actually meet him in the story. We're being told that he is family, and secondly, that he's a man of good standing. In other words, he is a ray of sunshine that's breaking in to what has been a pretty gloomy story so far. So in chapter 2, verse 2, we return to empty Naomi to see her daughter-in-law about to head out to go and look for some food. So Ruth says, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. I suspect this morning that very few of us have really any idea about how farms and about how agriculture really works. That's because Woolworths and Coles kind of sit squarely between our plates and the paddock, don't they? There's nothing really wrong with that for us today, but we don't really know how barley or wheat or carrots or peas or any of that sort of stuff is really grown. And that means we probably don't know the difficulty that goes into producing food. And that the hardship and difficulty that goes into growing stuff. And so we even have less of an idea about what it means to glean. But for Ruth, living in the ancient world, gleaning for food meant for her staying alive. 
See, Ruth's not actually a farmer in our story. She's just gleaning in the fields after the farmers have been through. That means she's scratching around and searching in the paddocks, looking for any missed grain kernels that might be lying there. Let me just show you what Ruth was looking for. I've got here some wheat. This has already been threshed, so it's come out of its husk. But you can see, this is the kind of stuff that Ruth was looking for. She was looking for barley, and this is wheat. They're a pretty similar crop. Um, some of the commentators that I read suggested that in a day's work in the ancient world, if you were paid, you might have been paid with about a kilogram of grain. Um, I would have thought then that a gleaner, a person who doesn't have a job, is going to find less than that. So this is about half a kilogram of wheat. Maybe this is what Ruth could have hoped to have found in her day of gleaning. For us today, this doesn't really make sense in many ways, does it? Because when we're hungry or when the fridge is empty, the last thing that we're likely to do is to kind of go out into a nearby field and scratch around in it and look for food. But gleaning in the fields was in Ruth's day the social security network of the day. Today we have Centrelink. That didn't exist back in Ruth's time. It's probably no surprise to any of you. But what they did have was gleaning. See, those who owned fields back in Ruth's time, they were required by the law to leave the very edges of the field and any bits of grain that was dropped, specifically for people just like Ruth. It was part of Israel's law. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 24, where we see this social security being outlined for us in the law. If you want to follow along, it's on page 199, I think, of your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm going to read from verse 19. It says, When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Do you get the picture? Ruth was, of course, a foreigner, wasn't she? She was a widow. And having left Moab, she's essentially fatherless. So gleaning is very much designed for a person just like her to live. But it must have been a hard living, don't you think? One of the commentators I read suggested that it's kind of like the ancient rural version of going around collecting aluminium cans from bins. There's no glamour associated with gleaming. You're probably looked down on by the rest of society and you barely scrape by. I want you just to think about how hard this job would have been for Ruth, how much effort would have gone into uh, collecting the grains. And to just give you an idea of that, I'm going to take some of the grain here this morning I'm just going to throw a little bit on the floor here. Um, I'm not sure that I'm doing pack-ups today, but I might be now. Uh, <laughs> um, and I want you just to think, okay, your survival now depends 
on you picking up each one of these grains and storing them away. This is what you're going to eat for the evening meal. You can imagine that you'd be bending over, you'd be crawling around on your hands and knees, searching, not amongst chair legs, but amongst the old wheat stalks or barley stalks, looking for this food. Expect it was very hard work and exhausting, demoralizing, scavenging really, isn't it? And this is the life that awaits Ruth and Naomi in the promised land, the land that was supposed to flow with milk and honey. As I read this story, it got me thinking about how we trust in God when the going gets tough. See, Ruth has pledged her allegiance to Naomi's God. She's gone all in, so to speak, with this God. And yet she's out in the fields, cleaning or scavenging, looking for just enough food to survive. She's trusting in God that she and Naomi won't starve. For us today, we have plenty of food, don't we, generally speaking, but life can still be uncertain, can't it? Where will the next paycheck come from? Will mum survive that illness? Are our kids going to manage to get past the attacks of the school bully? In our world today, as in Ruth's world, there are still plenty of opportunities for us to actively put our trust in God. Sometimes acting out upon that trust might mean that we need to be active, that we might go out into our metaphorical fields and go gleaning and scavenging. Other times the situation might be different. We still have today a trustworthy God, don't we? I hope you know that this morning. Well, our story goes on and perhaps unsurprisingly we see that Ruth is gleaning, not in any old field, but in the field of Boaz. He's arrived in the story finally in verse 5 of chapter 2 and he's asking his foreman at that point, who does that young woman belong to? As Ellen read, to the, read us the story before, do you wonder why? Why Boaz asks after Ruth? Seems to me that there would have been a number of people out in his fields, men doing the reaping, women who were sheaving the stalks of grain, and Boaz asks about Ruth. Perhaps he knew everybody else in the field, knew them by name maybe. Maybe they'd all worked in his field before. As I read this story, I can't help but wonder why. Why does Boaz single out Ruth? Does he look across at her and say, oh, there's a beautiful woman? Do you think that's part of it? Do you think he was romantically motivated by the minute, by the minute he saw her? Well, the story doesn't really tell us the answer to that question, does it? Boaz asks in verse 5, and in verse 6, the overseer replies, she came into the field and she's remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. And then Boaz speaks directly to Ruth, encouraging her to stay in his field. And he kind of sweetens the deal a little for her as well. He says, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, and if you get thirsty, feel free to drink from the water jars that the men have filled. By allowing Ruth to glean in his fields, Boaz is not being especially kind. 
That's what the law required. It's kind of like you and I paying our taxes. He's simply doing what is required by the law. But he goes a little bit further, doesn't he? He offers her protection. Does that make Boaz a surprising man? I'd like to hope not. I'd like to think that all of us would go and offer protection. We can only guess as to why the offer of protection is necessary. Fields don't seem to be safe. And sadly, I imagine that it's not all that different for women who work in fields in all sorts of parts of the world today. Indeed, it's not particularly different for women who work in our modern world in Adelaide today, is it? But Boaz makes it clear in the story. He says, the men in my field won't hurt you. And what's more, he says to Ruth, take advantage of their work in gathering water. When you get thirsty, as I imagine she would in the hot sun as she's going about gathering this grain, take advantage of what they've done and drink from the water they've already drawn. Now here we're starting to see added kindness. Why? Why does Boaz do this? That's the same question that Ruth's got. She falls face down on the ground. And the answer that Boaz gives to her question about why this kindness is that he knows already what she has done and what she has become. Let me read to you from verse 11 of Ruth chapter 2. Boaz says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Boaz has heard of Ruth and of what she's done for Naomi. He's heard how she's taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. We're going to come back to that phrase next week. Refuge under the God of the wings of Israel, under the God of Israel. But you see, in a way, Boaz is starting to recognize Ruth as one of his own, as part of his wider family. That's because her God is his God. I really appreciate the insight of a commentator here called Robert Hubbard, who suggests that Ruth who was essentially without a family, is now being enveloped into Boaz's family. And throughout this chapter and, the, and chapter 3, we'll see that envelopment really being completed. See, in the next few verses, we see Ruth being incorporated further and further into the family of Boaz. At mealtime, Boaz invites Ruth to come and eat with him and the harvesters. He offers her cooked food, Food she didn't glean herself. Bread and roasted grains, and it even comes with a dipping sauce. I mean, that's not for a gleaner. See, Ruth started the day as a foreigner, gleaning in the field, scavenging, searching for a lost grain here or there. And now she sits with the harvesters, right in the family circle, eating till she's full. And she's even got some left over. Boaz's prayer then has, in a way, already been answered, hasn't it? Ruth is already finding refuge 
in the family of God, under the wings of the God of Israel. See, that's God at work, working through Boaz. Do you ever wonder, is God at work in our world today? What do you think? Is God still at work? Is God at work in the everyday occurrences of life? In our story today, was it God ordained that Ruth would begin her gleaning in the field of Boaz? And did God cause Boaz to wake up on that particular morning in such a good mood? You know, here in the book of Ruth, things are not really presented as kind of chance happenings, are they? It's not that the author specifically tells us that God is behind these things, or not until chapter 4, and then when Ruth conceives a baby, that action is directly attributed to God. But these behind-the-scenes things that are happening here, they seem to be due to the providence of God, don't they? So I wonder today, do you still see God as active in the world in which we live? Is God involved in the provision of your food today? Is involved, it seems, in the provision of grain and food for Naomi. Does God still work that way for us today? Is he involved in the work that you do? In an office or a school or a university? Is God involved in the way in which you go about raising your children? Well, our story continues on in chapter 2. The meal's now over and Ruth goes back out to glean in the field... But I want you to notice that Boaz changes the gleaning game for Ruth. He says to his men in verse 15, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. What exactly gleaning among the sheaves looks like is a little bit hard to understand, but the thrust of what's happening here is pretty clear, isn't it? Boaz is saying, Men, I want you to make things a little bit easier for Ruth, throw a little bit of grain down in front of her, make her job a little bit easier. Let's really look after her today. And so Ruth goes about gleaning and gathering and threshing her grain, and her work for the day amounted to an ephah of grain. And none of us are surprised, right? Because none of us today know what an ephah is. Remember what gleaning of grain was like? Collecting seeds one by one, possibly down on your hands and knees. We're kind of thinking that at the end of the day, if you were lucky, you might get this much grain. Let me show you what an ephah of grain looks like. I've got one here. This is an ephah of grain. Oh, it's heavy. It is 13 kilos of grain. This little bundle that I held up is what she probably expected to get going out and gleaning. This sack of wheat is what she actually got. She's had a pretty good day in Boaz's field, don't you think? An ephah of grain. And her good fortune is due to the generosity and the kindness and maybe even the love of this man, Boaz. At the start of the chapter, Ruth literally has nothing. And now her and Naomi have to excess. And it's all because of the kindness of this man, Boaz. 
And I love what Tim has to say about Boaz at this point. I'll try and capture his sentiment as best as I can. He says something like this. The law required that Boaz allow Ruth to glean in his field, to collect the leftovers after the harvest had been through. That's the provision that the law made for foreigners and widows and the fatherless, all that Ruth is, right? And Boaz takes that law and he kicks it out of the park with kindness. So he gives Ruth protection. The law never stipulated that. He allows her to drink water his men had collected her. He feeds her from the family meal to the point that she has some left over to take home to Naomi. And then finally, Boaz changes the way that she gleans so that at the end of the day, she has an eper of grain to take home to Naomi. That's real kindness, isn't it? That's kicking kindness out of the park or it's smashing through the requirements of the law i mean kind of short of backing up his grain wagon up to ruth and naomi's house and dumping a truckload of grain on their door boaz has done about as much as he can to help these two women don't you think it'd be great if we were known as people who excelled in kindness just like boaz if you were to excel in kindness as a person, I wonder you know, what you might do differently this week as you went about excelling in kindness. Would it be that you treated your clients at work a little differently or your customers? Would you be more patient at home? Would you use your time differently? How would it be if you excelled in kindness this week? I think we're sort of should try and do that, shouldn't we? Especially for those who are part of our family. The Apostle Paul often describes Christians as brothers and sisters, as people who are part of the family of God. Just take a look around the room, because these people are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, I think at least in part, the kindness that Boaz exhibits to Ruth is because he begins to see her as part of his family. Her God, remember, is Boaz's God. How are you going at demonstrating kindness to your brothers and sisters in Christ? So the Apostle Paul picks up on this. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 9 and 10, many of the themes that we've been looking at today pop up in that passage. Let me read it to you. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. What does that look like, do you think? Doing good. Well, I think Boaz models that really well here, doesn't he? For us today, with so much in our world, with so much that we have, we're so well provisioned in so many ways as people, aren't we? There are endless opportunities, then, I think, for us to do good in this world, for us to be generous to those who don't have much. I could speak for a long time about what that might look like. But think just of refugees or foreigners like Ruth. How are we being generous to them? That's just one application of this passage, isn't it? 
As I read and thought through this passage over the past few months, Boaz's kindness seems so extreme in this passage, doesn't it? It got me thinking about how the kindness of Boaz reflects the kindness of Jesus. It's worth mentioning at this point that the New Testament never holds up Boaz as being a Christ-like figure, but I think the comparison kind of is there for us to make. In a way, we see something of the character of Jesus in the actions of Boaz. And we'll see this even more clearly next week when we get to the idea of Boaz being a, a kinsman redeemer and what that means. But here today, I just want us to reflect on the kindness of Boaz because in Jesus, we see an even greater example of kindness. So in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, in kindness... Boaz lightens Ruth's load and he makes the task of gleaning an easier thing. He asks his men to drop barley on the ground in front of Ruth so that she can collect not a half kilo of wheat but 13 kilos of it. And it reminds me of the kindness and goodness of Jesus who says when we're enveloped into his family, he gives us rest and he lightens our load. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Boaz has lightened Ruth's load so to speak, in gleaning. He's made the task easier for her. And Jesus speaks here in Matthew of his yoke being easy and light. Now, I don't think, of course, that means that in Jesus' family you will never go hungry. That's certainly not the case. But how many of us feel weary and burdened today, not with the physical tasks of gathering a heavy sack of grain, but perhaps you're weighed down with the stress of a broken relationship, or feelings of inadequacy or conflict, doubts about the future. Do you need a place of rest for your soul? That's the rest that Jesus provides. If you have that sort of weariness, Jesus tells us that his yoke is light. That's the promise of Jesus to those who become part of his family. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. But also I want us to see that our God is a God of great kindness. And we see this expressed ultimately in a way that far exceeds the kindness of Boaz towards Ruth. You see, for Boaz, his kindness, it had a massive impact on Ruth, didn't it? She got a whole epa of grain from one day's worth of work. But we're not really left with a feeling that it really hurt Boaz for him to be kind to her just cost him an ether, but it kind of feels like it was still just leftovers for Boaz, doesn't it? But in Jesus, we see his kindness, his love, extending to the point of giving up his own life. That's really extraordinary kindness, isn't it? Perhaps you've been impressed with this man, Boaz, and I think you should be. He's held up as a great guy, but his kindness is not sacrificial not in the way that Jesus was. Let me read to you some words from Romans chapter 5. You can find them on page 1130 of your Bibles. And it really helps us to see just how kind, how loving Jesus is to us. In verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, it says this. 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that really is kindness booted out of the park, isn't it? That's the sort of kindness, the sort of love that Jesus has for us. Boaz acts with great kindness and love towards Ruth and Naomi. He goes above and beyond what is expected by the law. But Jesus demonstrates his kindness in this way. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Perhaps today you're feeling the weight of a broken relationship. Maybe you're feeling down. Perhaps you're feeling empty like Naomi. If that's you today, please don't leave without speaking to Matt or the person who brought you along today about how you might experience that kindness and that sacrificial love that Jesus brings. The life course is a great way to find out about those sorts of things. Because we have a God of great kindness. Ruth is an excellent book. It's a wonderful story. I'd love you to be getting into it and reading it over the next few weeks. And as you read it, I'd like you to see and think about how sacrificially kind our God is. Let me pray for us that we'd be a people of kindness and that we'd give thanks to Jesus for the work that he's done in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the offer of family that you hold out for us. We thank you for your provision for us in giving us all that we need in this world. Father, as we reflect on this story of Boaz and Ruth, we ask that you would be shaping us to be a people who are known for our kindness and for our generosity. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, who always loved us, who died for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to worship and praise Jesus, giving thanks to his great act of kindness means we could be part of your family. Amen.